Oh, we serve an amazing God who takes people that have no idea where in the world Niger is, and we're going to get to be with people forever who have no idea where Enid, Oklahoma is, uh, and we get to uh, we get to be a part of what God's doing. Uh, this time, I'm going to invite the ushers uh, to come forward and, and receive our offering this morning. Uh, kids who are waiting to go to Kids Connection, I want to uh, dismiss you at, the, at this time for that. And um, just one brief announcement, a reminder uh, for parents of middle school and high school students, there will be a meeting directly following the service today right here. You don't need to leave, just come here to the front, and we want to... Uh, just have a meeting just to update you on what's going on in uh, student ministries. Really exciting stuff. Good stuff happening right now uh, in our middle school and high school ministries. And uh, so I invite you to come and be a part of that. Also, the, uh, another thing that I am just really glad to be able to announce this morning, not only uh, the, the passage of Scripture we're going to be in, but... Uh, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. But if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, you can now grab a Bible out of the chair, the back of the chair in front of you. You just turn to page 977 and follow along with us. So let's uh, open God's Word and let's uh, get right to work this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And as we've gathered here this morning, Jesus is the real teacher. Uh, Jesus is the one who wants to teach us uh, from his word. And so I just want to go to him and ask him to speak to us this morning. So would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we read the word that you gave to Paul and that you preserved for us. I pray that your spirit would just be active this morning, stirring up in me and, and delivering the words that you would have your people to hear and, and stirring up in their hearts to receive them and that this is all made possible because of Jesus and his death that opened up the way for us to be able to come to you and to actually love the truth you've given to us. That it's because of Jesus we've been given new hearts that actually can receive your truth. And, and so I pray that, uh, that Jesus would be the one who, who really is the, the centerpiece this morning. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. <clears throat> For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength 
to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So the grand theme of the entire letter to the Ephesians is that the grace of God shapes the people of God to walk with God. So the the first three chapters of the letter to the Ephesians is the magnificent work that the grace of God has done in creating a people. And creating a people that belong to God. And this is all the work of God. And, And now we are at this pivot point in the letter to the Ephesians, that we are getting ready now to to shift from the the declaration of what God has done to how that now works out in our lives that we would walk faithfully with the God who adopted us, with the God who freed us, that we would walk faithfully as those who are God's very inheritance. And and as as you look through the the letter to the Ephesians, there's, there's a rhythm to it. Uh, a rhythm that, that actually just is, is a great model for our Christian life, that, that Paul is giving us teaching that he follows with prayer that then leads to action. And so in, in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, we had a, a grand explanation of, of the journey that, that God has brought us in, in adoption and in redemption and in uh, then being his inheritance. And that's followed with a prayer. And then Paul, again, lays out in chapter 2, this is the great work of God in in forming a people, that he takes people who were dead in sin and makes them alive and and now brings together uh, people who were previously at odds, Jews and Gentiles, and to be this great family that's now a temple for God. And then Paul leads out of that into another prayer. And all of this is providing now the foundation for all of the action that Paul is going to call us to in uh, chapters 4 through 6. So we looked at the first prayer in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And this morning now we're going to look at this second prayer that Paul prays in verses 14 through 21. Uh, John Stott was this pastor and evangelist in, in England in the second half of the 20th century. And, and he said, if you really want to find out what's important to a Christian... Just pay attention to his prayer and pay attention to the fervency of her prayer. That it's prayer that really reveals our desires as believers. And so this morning, I I want us to look at how Paul models prayer for us. First of all, in the motivation for his prayer, and then in the content of his prayer, and then finally, the assurance of prayer. First of all, the motive for prayer in verses 14 and 15, the motivation for prayer. What is it that motivates you to pray? That that probably you're like me in a lot of ways that you are motivated to pray when you're in a crisis or when there's a great need. Maybe it's in your own life or, or in someone else's life. And 
we have great assurance in Scripture that these are the times where we must go to God in prayer. Psalm 50, verse 15, God himself says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But I'll tell you, if the only thing that motivates you to pray is crisis or need, then you're going to find that your prayer life is going to be pretty weak. What, what Paul wants to do for us here is he wants to help broaden our motivation for prayer. Paul actually models for us uh, another motivation for prayer to, to help broaden out and strengthen our prayer life. Paul's going to give us two motives here, particularly, that should motivate us to prayer. And the first one, the first motive for prayer is God's revealed purpose. That when we understand God's purposes, we understand what God is doing in the world, what he's doing in history, this should be a motivation for prayer. Notice how how Paul says in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees. Now, when Paul says for this reason, he's going back to what he started in chapter 3 verse 1, where he said for this reason. Now, then Paul interrupted himself for about 13 verses because he said, oh, there's other things I need to tell you. And all of this is coming out of chapter 2. And in chapter 2, Paul is saying there is now one family, one new humanity that God has created in Jesus Christ that is God's family that he lives in as his new temple. So that there has been a transformation in the way that, that God is at work in the world and people. God no longer lives in structures and he no longer limits himself to one family. He's created one new family out of all who believe in Jesus and now he lives in them. He lives in us. That God doesn't live here in this sanctuary. God lives in us, his people. And Paul is saying, since, since I know now that this is what God's purpose has been, God revealed it to him. Chapter 3, verse 3. The mystery was made known to me by revelation. God revealed to Paul in verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul's saying, because now I know exactly what God has been doing. What God has been working from, from even before the beginning of time. This motivates me now to pray. And as, as Paul it begins to give his second motivation to pray, we see a glimpse of the fervency that Paul is praying. Because he says in verse 14, I bow my knees. The normal posture for Jewish people when they would pray is standing. Oftentimes hands lifted up, eyes lifted up to heaven, and this was the normal posture for prayer. But if somebody was was particularly intense in their prayer, if they were particularly emotional or they were grieving, they would be in other postures, laying down or kneeling, which Paul is talking about here. He's bowing his knees. In Acts chapter 20, we see that when Paul was meeting with the elders of the church at Ephesus, he, he called them all together and they ended their time by kneeling together on the beach and praying. That we are seeing here a glimpse of Paul's love for this church. He's connected to them. He says, I know what God's purposes are for you. And so this is motivating me to pray. It's motivating me to pray fervently. And and now he's going to show us what his other motive for prayer is. The second motive that Paul gives for prayer is God's revealed nature. God's revealed nature. It's not simply God's purposes that are motivating Paul to pray. It's God's nature that's motivating Paul to pray. Because look with me what he says 
Now he ends verse 14. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So Paul is addressing God as Father. He's picking up language that he's already been talking about in chapters 1 and 2. That we are no longer those who are uh, rejected rebels. We are God's adopted children. Because we are God's children, we can come to him as Father. That God has brought Jews and Gentiles together into a single family. And those who are now in the family together can approach God as Father. That Paul is saying that God is the supreme Father. There is no other father that you should be going to and making your request to because God is the father of every family. He's the father of Jewish believers. He's the father of Gentile believers. We are one family because we have one father. You know, as as believers, we find ourselves in times of different need and there's always the temptation to try to meet that need by going to some other source. And we must remember that God is the source. God as Father is the only source that we should go to and and seek out the fulfillment of our needs. That we do not have, uh, have fathers here on earth that we look to and say, well, God must be like these fathers. No, Paul is saying God is the father from whom all other fathers receive their role. That it's God who defines what fatherhood is. And, and now we come to him as the perfect father. Now, if, if you're here this morning and, and your earthly father let you down, your earthly father was not the example that, uh, that he should have been to you. You have a perfect father in God that you can come to and you can bring any request to. It's because God is father that we should be motivated to pray. Now, Paul is moving from the motivation of God's purposes and God's nature to actually now laying his request before God. He's, he's letting the church know, here's what I'm praying for you. And so we have the content of prayer. Verses 16 through 19 is the content of Paul's prayer. Yeah, one popular theme for TV shows right now is home renovations. I don't know if you've had a chance to see many of these, but they, they generally kind of follow a, a script of, of a couple gets a house that is deteriorated or it's just been trashed, and they, they go through the work of, of renovating uh, the house. And oftentimes, one crucial part of of the plot is the budget. How much money do they have to bring about this renovation? And then there's always that, that part in the show, it seems like, where they come across something that they say, oh, is this going to put the project over budget? You know, the, pulling up a, a piece of carpet, tearing back a piece of drywall, and it's like, what are we going to find? You know, God is, is at work renovating our lives. This is, this is a, 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 just a perfect picture of the Christian life. That the Christian life is God's renovation project. Where God is taking us as condemned ruins. And he's transforming us into glorious palaces. But here's the thing. You know what's going on underneath the carpet in your life. You know what's behind the walls of your life. Other people may not see and you might wonder, but when God sees that, is, can, can he really help me? 
can God really make a difference in, in my life? Can God really make a difference with, with that problem? Look at what Paul says in verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory. See, this is the thing with, with God. That when God is renovating your life, there is an unlimited budget. You never have to worry at any point that your life is going to go over budget with God. That God wants to meet the needs in your life out of the riches of his glory, out of the overflow of his character. To talk about the riches of God's glory is to talk about the abundance of his goodness. So Paul is saying, this is what I'm drawing on for God's work in your life. Believers in Ephesus, believers in Enid, there is an inexhaustible supply of riches that God wants to bring to bear on your life to complete what he has begun in you. And now Paul's going to lay out the three requests. Because he knows that there is there's an inexhaustible supply of riches that God can answer these requests, these are the quest, requests that Paul lays before God. First of all, the first request is strength to receive Christ's presence. Paul prays that these believers and that we today would have strength to receive Christ's presence. Follow along with me in verse 16. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this first request here is laid out for us in two parallel statements. The first statement is that they would have power from the Holy Spirit in their inner being. That that God wants to unleash his spirit at work in your life. But this is not a a power that is necessarily going to show itself outwardly. There is not a promise here that outwardly things are going to look initially any different. That this is not a guarantee of, of a cure for, for cancer. This is not a guarantee of, of outward prosperity. That this is an inner strength, an inner power by God's Spirit. And what's it going to look like when this request gets answered? When God's Spirit is unleashed with power and He gives you strength to actually receive God's Spirit at work in your life, it's that Christ would dwell in your heart through faith. That you would trust Christ to be at home in your life. Now when you read this, you might say, well, well, wait a minute. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Weren't they already believers? Do we have to worry that that Christ may come and go? The answer is no. That Philippians or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says that we have been raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. That when, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus gets the title to your life and you belong to him forever. There's two different ways to talk about dwelling. See, there, there was two Greek words for, for dwelling here. And, and one of them is to dwell in a place like a stranger who's passing through. Like dwelling in a hotel. You're not going to be there very long. You're going to move on. Or there is another Greek word, and that's the one that Paul uses here. It's to take up permanent residence and to be the master of the house. See, Paul is praying, I, I want you to have a strength 
that Christ would actually be at home in your life. I want you to have a strength for Christ to move in, to knock out the walls, to prop up those sagging floor joists, to peel off the the smoke-stained wallpaper. I want you to have a strength for the very aroma of Christ to permeate the house. That when people walk in, they go, man, it smells like Jesus in here. When we oftentimes think of power and strength, we think of being independent. That if I'm strong enough, if I'm powerful enough, I don't need others. But Paul's saying something very paradoxical here. He says, you need strength, you need power to actually depend on Christ. And this is what he's praying. He's saying that God has this renovation project he wants to do in your house, and I'm praying that you're strong enough to trust Christ to do his work. Secondly, Paul makes the request that they would be strong to receive Christ's love. He prays for strength to receive Christ's love. Follow along with me now here, picking up again in verse 17, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, this request begins by reminding these believers of their current condition. They already have been rooted and grounded in love. To be a Christian means that that the roots of your life are now planted in the love of God that he has revealed in his son, Jesus Christ. To be a Christian means what is your life built upon? It's built upon the foundation of God's love in Jesus Christ. If you were here this morning and, and you say, my life has not built upon the love of God in Jesus Christ. Uh, my, the roots of my life are not in the love of God that are in Jesus Christ. I want you this morning to know God's love as it's never been known before in the person of his son, Jesus. This is an encounter with God that comes in trusting Christ alone to be the nourishment and foundation of your life. Because once you have that, you are now in a place to actually receive more of God's love. That's what Paul is praying for here. And and notice, there's some things that Paul says that should really strike us about this experience of God's love. You see, we live in a world today where God's love is assumed. It's not shocking to say God is love. And yet Paul is wanting us to understand that we actually know so little of the love of God. That that God's love has to have a strength. There has to be a strength for us to actually know the greatness of the love of God. This is not a strength that we should expect to receive all on our own. Look with me what he says in verse uh, 17. In verse 18, we have strength to comprehend with all the saints. That God intends for you to know the fullness of his love within the church. That it's being with other believers that God intends for you to know 
the greatness of his love. 1 John 4.12 says this, If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Do not think that you are going to be able to have a full experience of the love of God unless your life is connected to the lives of other Christians. Don't think that you will be able to have a full experience of God's love unless you are part of the church, unless you are giving and serving within the church. That it's your interaction with the lives of other believers that is intended to be God's channel for you to be able to receive more of His love. If you're feeling lonely, if you are feeling isolated from the love of God, I want to encourage you to press in to relationships with other believers. If you are not in a small group, getting involved in a life group here is a way that God intends for you to grow in your ability to receive His love. And what we see here is that God intends for you to grow more and more in your ability to know what his love really is. It's, it's a love that, is, that has so many different dimensions to it. Look at what Paul says here. The breadth and length and height and depth. Paul is, is here that there is a, there's a greatness here. There's many sides to this love. The, uh, the ancient uh, church fathers, as they were reflecting on this verse, saw in here just a pointing to the cross of how the cross uh, of Jesus stretched wide enough for all of humanity. And it was high enough to reach the lowest sinner and bring him up into the very presence of God. And this is a love that God wants to give you more and more knowledge of. But it's something that you're going to have to be strengthened in order to receive. One of the things that, that I enjoy is being able to go backpacking in the mountains. It's going to be a lot harder for me to, to do that sitting in Enid. But some of my best memories are, are walking along a, a trail on a hot summer afternoon and coming around the corner and there's being a gushing waterfall. And you, you take your, out your, your water bottle that's about half full and it, the water is now kind of lukewarm because it's been in your backpack, it's been in the sun and, and you empty it out and now there's, there's this icy fresh water that just quenches your thirst. But imagine getting to this waterfall and being thirsty and the only thing that you have is a paper bag. You would not have the strength to capture the refreshing amount of water in the waterfall in a lunch sack. It wouldn't work. See, God wants to transform your life in such a way that you would be strengthened to actually receive more of his love. It's as if this is an invitation to, to scale the foothills and catch a sight of the Alps of God's love. And to scale the Alps of God's love and to get to the peaks and then to see the Himalayas of God's love. This is an invitation for all of eternity to go higher and higher and deeper and deeper into a knowledge of the love of God. Notice Paul is not denying the, uh, the, the ability to know God's love. He doesn't say you can't know God's love. He says God's love surpasses knowledge. So this is an invitation to, to know more and more of God's love. Get wider and wider in your knowledge of God's love and you'll find there's even more of God's love to discover. And Paul is saying, I'm praying for the strength for you to keep knowing God's love. And then last, 
The third request is for a life filled with God's fullness. Paul is praying that this renovation project that God has begun, where Christ has moved in and Christ has begun his work, and and now there's a stronger capacity to actually receive the love that God wants to give, and, and finally now, that the house would be complete and full of the presence of God. Look at the end of verse 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You know, we're told in the Old Testament, when the tabernacle was completed, and then again when the temple was completed, that God's glory so filled the temple that the priests were unable to go in. That when God's presence was at its fullest, the priests couldn't get in. And now Paul is saying, I want the fullness of God to be in you. That's what I'm praying for, is that you would just be full of God. Now, We have to reject any idea that that God parts himself out, that God gives us a little bit of himself here and a little bit of himself there. We should reject the the teaching that you receive part uh, of the Spirit when you become a Christian, and then later on in life you get more of the Holy Spirit. That's just ridiculous. That to have, to believe in Jesus is to have Jesus' presence in you. You have the Spirit living in you. But it's a lot like a little kid who puts on his dad's sweater. And as he puts on his dad's sweater, the, you know, the, the cuffs of the sweater are, are hanging well down below his fingertips and, and the sweater's hitting him, you know, just above the knees. He doesn't need more sweater. He's got enough sweater. He needs to grow into the sweater. And this is what Paul is praying for these believers, praying for us that you would grow into the fullness of God that you've received. That, that your arms would, would stretch out and your fingertips would extend beyond the end of the sweater. That it, you, would, you would grow up and, and, and fill it out. That God's character would fill your life. That God's holiness would push out the sin in your life. That, that God's love for him would push out the weaker loves for other things. That God's character would become your character. And you know, this is what the rest of the book of Ephesians is going to be about. How God is able to move in and clear out those other places in our lives that compete for the space that belongs to him. Third, we see the assurance of prayer. The assurance of prayer. You know, when we consider what Paul is praying, think, think with me for a minute what Paul is praying here. He's praying that, that Christ would be able to have all of us. He's praying that, that, that we would be able to, to grasp the, the greatness of God's love that cannot be contained. And then he's praying that we would be filled with God's fullness. These are amazingly audacious requests. We should be praying for things like daily bread. and We should be praying for health and and protection and for jobs. But but man, these requests put all of that in perspective. Do we really have an assurance that, 
that these are the kinds of things that we should be praying for? Well, look at the assurance Paul gives us in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. You see, compared to the requests for our daily needs, these requests, what could be greater? What could be greater than having Christ have all of us? What could be greater than a full knowledge of the love of God? What could be greater than the the, the fullness of, of God's presence in our lives? Is there anything more we can imagine? Oh, if we could, it wouldn't be beyond the ability of God to meet it. So how much more confidence should we have that God can meet these? That it doesn't matter what state your life is in right now. Christ is able to be at home in your life. It doesn't matter how how small a capacity that you have for, for God's love in your life right now. He can, he can blow it apart and you can experience more of God's love than you've ever known in your life. Oh, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what condition your life is like right now. It doesn't matter what your life resembles right now. God is able to do a renovation project that your life is so full of his fullness that when people see you, they see Christ. See, God isn't doing this because we're so great. God is doing this because Christ is so great. That Jesus went to the cross that this would actually be accomplished. And so he says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever." And ever, God desires to bring the renovation project of your life to completion. That he would not only receive glory in the rest of human history, but for all of eternity. That your life would be on God's street of dreams. And he would say, look, look what I did. Look what I did when Christ moved in. Look at the amazing transformation my love has made. Look at what my presence does in a life. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I could do nothing more and pray right now for our church. That you would make us strong by your spirit. That Christ would be at home here. That Christ would be at home in our individual lives. That he wouldn't have to compete for authority. That we would gladly give it all to him and say, Jesus, be at home here. Oh, open up our lives to know more of your love. May may we taste your love in such a way that, that, that it dulls our tastes for other loves in this world. And can I ask, please, God, that our lives would be full of your presence. 
if that we would be a witness to each other and in our neighborhoods and in our schools and in businesses wherever we go that we belong to you. Fill our lives with your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.